Jesus, and let's have some fun. Did you guys enjoy last week? I'm going to be doing a little, we're going to do a little review. You know, we always have to do a little bit of review. We started off last week talking, um, my favorite line uh, in, in the whole pre-fall time. Now, we've been going at this, what, I think five weeks, and we're only barely out of Genesis 3, so this is going to be a long haul. As soon as you say stop, we'll stop. And then we won't do all of Genesis, probably. But um, the line that I absolutely love before man falls is the very last verse of chapter 2. And we'll start there. If you can uh, find chapter 2, verse 23. It says here that the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Naked and felt no shame. The word naked there, remember, means absolutely available, transparent, can see everything and know all. And they were not ashamed. Now that is a condition that we probably have absolutely no clue what it is. Because we have never felt that. Because we are so sown with sin and shame. But we have found out last week that Jesus Christ came and he delivered us from that shame. And he justified us just as if I'd never sinned. And he took away our shame. So the shame that was incurred when they fell and that we walk in on a daily basis, Jesus Christ came to to, uh, release us from that curse and to deliver us from shame. And our job right now is to go ahead and go walk right back in to that uh, pre-fall state of being able to be totally known by God. And totally accepted by God. I don't care what you did yesterday or a minute ago. If you will get under the blood of Jesus, you are completely accepted and loved. You can be completely available and and known and seen and have no shame. And Dwayne has been talking over the last couple of weeks. What would you do? How would you live if you didn't have any shame? And this is what it's all about. So then after that, they fell, of course. We've got the serpent that comes. And, uh, you know, it says here, the first verse of chapter 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animal that God had made. The thought there is actually that there was an animal. There was an animal that was the most crafty. That word crafty is cunning and wise and had the highest of intelligence of the animal kingdom. So there was an animal that was very, very wise and had the ability to speak because when he spoke to Eve, she didn't freak out. So this animal was apparently able to speak prior to his conversation with Eve. And this animal walked upright because we all know that the curse was that then it would not walk upright any longer but would crawl on its belly. We don't know what that animal is. There's lots of conjecture. I've read lots and lots of articles and that kind of thing. We don't know what that animal is. But we do know that it's called serpent. And this is the first time that word appears in the Bible. And it will appear in numerous places afterwards. It will appear in Job. It will appear also, um, there's a couple of other books. And then it appears in Revelation. Okay? Whether it is a snake as we know it. Or not, we don't know. But it is this type of animal. And we also believe there that actually it was an animal that Satan entered. Okay? So that this animal was not satanic. It was not Lucifer inside of that animal for a time. And that's why it was so deceptive to Eve. 
You don't know what's approaching you. And a lot of times the enemy likes to come to you through something that's very familiar, that sounds very familiar, that sounds very believable. That's where the deceptiveness comes. But when the, the message is against what God says, you need to know it immediately. You have to have discernment at that moment that says, excuse me, no. Amen? So that's, uh, that's that. We also learned last week that there were three groupings or types of trees that came out in these first couple chapters. How many of you remember what those three types of trees that we were talking about? The first type, yes, all the trees, basically. Everybody say all the trees. And uh, um, Genesis 3 there says that the, all the trees were available for Adam and Eve to eat from. All the trees. Okay? And he also named a certain tree the tree of life. Right? Now, then, so there's the tree of life. The life-giving tree. The tree that produced eternal life. The, the last tree is what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's only one of those trees that they were told not to eat of. Which one was that? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what does that mean? Could they eat of the tree of life? Absolutely. So all during the pre-fall portion of Adam and Eve's life, it is believed by many, many scholars that not only did Adam and Eve eat from the tree of life and sustain their eternal being, their, their longevity, but the animals did as well. Now, whether that's true or not, I, we don't know from the text, but that's what's understood and believed by many, many Jewish scholars. Okay? So we've got this tree of life sitting there, and everyone's partaking of it. We do not know how long Genesis 1 and 2 is. We do not know how long that lasted. Could have been a week, a day, a millennium. We do not know. But it was eternally sustained by that tree of life. And it was a beautiful, beautiful... Wouldn't you have just loved to enjoy that time frame? Absolutely. So that's the three trees of life. And then we know that that, uh, Satan came and he deceived Eve. And Eve went ahead and ate, took of the fruit, and she ate. And then what did she do? Gave it to Adam. Adam's like, sure, I'll take some of that. So he eats. And then what do they do? No, they don't hide quite yet. They start sewing. They start sewing fig leaves together. And uh, then the fig leaves aren't quite adequate enough, so then they hide. And God comes and says, where are you? What are you doing? And, and they go through that whole conversation of being deceived and all of that kind of thing, right? So then, um, and then they're cursed. The curse comes. So let's pick it up right there at the curse. And um, let's go ahead and start at verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above the livestock and all of the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, this curse, this portion is said to be a double cursing, okay? So not only was it on the animal that all of a sudden now had to crawl on its belly and eat dust, but also against Lucifer, who is going to have be put at enmity with the woman and that her seed was going to crush his head and he was going to strike its heel. So there's kind of a double curse here. And I'll note, if you will notice, it says, I curse you. 
Now the next section here, if we'll move on to the next one. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Women from this point on, women are the nurturers, the ones that bring forth life. And that will be a forever painful experience. Now, all of you women who've bared, born children, you can say yay and amen to that. But I would say, actually, what really dropped into my heart is that I am no longer birthing babies out of my physical womb, but I am birthing babies out of my spiritual womb, and that continues to be a very painful process. Extremely painful process. We all chuckle and laugh, but it is a process that we as the body of Christ are called to, and it remains a painful process. But because it's painful, do not run from it. Continue to operate inside of this and continue to birth the next generations and continue to press to bring forth the next generation, more and more people. Because we are called to overcome this and continue on. Amen? Um, uh, your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listen to your wife. Now, women, be very careful. You want your men to listen to you. So don't be saying anything that isn't what God is saying. Don't be telling him things that the enemy is saying, that he has to decide. Is this, you know, get thee behind me, Satan, or what? She was saying things that Satan was saying. God wasn't saying. That's scary. Amen? To Adam, he said, because you listen to your wife. Now, guys, you can't always listen to us, but listen to us a lot, but not when we're wrong. The form uh, and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground. Okay, so wait a minute. He's cursing the ground. He's not cursing Adam, right? And he didn't curse Eve, did he? Satan was cursed. The animal was cursed. The ground was cursed. But I want you to see something. Adam and Eve were never cursed. They were put into a cursed situation and they had to deal with and feel the effects of the curse. But I want you to know that Adam and Eve were never cursed. And I want you to know, oh, daughters and sons of God, you may walk in the curse, but you are not cursed. God never cursed. Man and woman. Therefore, we are redeemable. Let that sink in. We are redeemable. Did you ever notice that? I always thought it all was cursed, even me. But God did not curse me. He did not. All right, let's keep moving on. We got to get somewhere. We already did this, right? Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, I want you to see that there's a word painful there, and it sounds an awful lot like an echo from what he said against the woman. For now, life for Adam and Eve will be painful. Both of them will be dealing with pain. Painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow, and you will eat the food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and for dust you are, and to dust you will now return. 
So there we have it. That's where we sit. Amen? So now we know, skipping down to verse 21, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And at that moment, that was the first death ever. The first death. And it was a sacrifice for sin. Many, many, many scholars believe that in those however many words there are, he didn't just come down and do it and show up and kind of throw us an animal skin at them. But he taught them during that phrase. He taught them sacrificial redemption. He taught them worship. He taught them. That was the first time. It didn't start with Moses and when the Jewish, um, you know, you, you know, long ways away, when they started doing the temple worship and all that. Sacrificial worship to God started right there. Adam and Eve were taught now that they could not reside any longer in the garden, in close communion, constantly walking in the cool of the day. But now worship had to change. It had to be through the guise of blood shed because of the sin that they carried now. And that's when it happened. That's when it was instilled. Right there. A lot transpired during that verse. Then the Lord said, now that he's become one of us, knowing good and evil. Before this point, they had only known good. But they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now they had this knowledge. They all of a sudden understood what it was like to to sin. They all of a sudden understood. I remember last week I told you, I do not personally have the knowledge of the good and evil of drugs and alcohol. I've just been really good about it. I just haven't done it. But some walk in that pain of that knowledge of the good and evil. Whatever God says, don't do, don't do it because there's a knowledge of evil down that path. I look at my kids all the time and say, don't do it. I don't want you to do that because if you do that, it's going to be painful. Don't even go near it. That's what God says to you. Even now, do not grow in the knowledge of good and evil. Grow in the knowledge of good and stay in that realm. Stay blessed. Amen? Knowledge of good and evil. Because he has now reached out his hand, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand now and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So they had to be banished from the garden because that's where the tree of life was and God could not have eternal sin. It had to end. So he banished them from the garden. He drove them out. It was a painful experience. They didn't want to leave. Would you want to leave? He had to drive them out. Can you imagine the pain in God's heart? Can you imagine the pain in God's heart when he was saying, Honey, you have to go. You've got to go. You can't stay here any longer. You've made the choice. Go. Go. You know, I'm telling Lily all the time, Go. I'm sure it was a very painful trip, extremely painful. 
Once they got out of the garden, they were left with thorns and thistles and, and they were, what was out there? Hard, hard, the harshness. And the Bible says here that they placed, the Lord God banished them or drove them from the garden of Eden to work the ground with which they had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed to the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim. Now cherubim, throughout, they are an, a very strong mystery in the Bible. Extremely mysterious. We do not understand them entirely. But one thing we do know that whenever God said to, to fashion cherubim, they're on the Holy of Holies, on the curtains. They are, they're in various places where the presence of God is. So wherever you see cherubim, you can always just relate that immediately with the Shekinah glory of God. All right? So at the very entrance of the garden, God placed his Shekinah glory. So they, they could always see it. They could always see it and approach it. The Shekinah glory. With a sword flashing back and forth. A very mighty, mighty place. Guarding the way to the tree of life. So let's move on now to chapter 4. I think you're all there, right? Are we all kind of in where we're supposed to be now, kind of back in the groove. Chapter 4. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother. Everybody say brother. Abel. Now the thought here, many, many scholars believe that Cain and Abel were twins. Because usually, um, whenever a, a person was conceived and born, you will get that. She conceived and, she was bo- and the baby was born. And in this particular passage here, what you hear is, she became pregnant and she gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, whether they were twins or not, we don't know entirely. But from, like I said, from from. Just reading into it, that's what a lot of scholars believe, that they were twins. So, but when, if you'll notice there, she said, um, go back one verse. You're getting ahead. Just a little bit. There we go. She said when she conceived and gave birth to Cain, she said, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. The, the Hebrew words there, it's very interesting when you read the commentaries. What she saw in that man-child that came... Can you imagine getting pregnant and not ever, ever knowing about pregnancy? Let's just let that sink in. You know, it's kind of like Santa Claus when he kept getting fat, you know, just because he was... He signed the Santa Claus or whatever. Can you imagine her belly and this life in this belly and not knowing what birth was? And all of a sudden her water breaks and the pains... Can you imagine what she went through? So she brings this child forth, and she says, with the help of the Lord. And the Hebrew there actually puts just this incredible hope spin on this birth. She thinks, it's very, very broadly thought, thought that her idea was that that was going to be the crusher of Satan. That Cain was going to be it. Unfortunately, things didn't go that well. Then she brought forth 
Abel. So whether there were twins or not, I do not know. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Were flocks cursed? Was the soil cursed? Cain faced the curse every minute of his day. Cain battled the curse every second of his day. Cain worked the soil. Abel kept flocks. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Course of time. We don't know how long that course of time is. Could have been a day. Could have been a week. A weekly schedule of worship. Could have been the end of harvest. He was out there out doing their things. Whatever God taught them before they were banished from the garden is probably what this course of time is. Many, many scholars believe that it was a harvest time when he could bring the fruits of the soil and when the lambs were coming forth so that the firstborn flock could come. Many, many scholars believe that they traveled, and I don't know this to be true, but it could be, it makes a lot of sense, they would travel back to the entrance of Eden and they would do their worship there where the Shekinah glory stood. Makes sense. I'm just opening up to you what a lot of thought has brought forth over the years. So over the course of time, Cain brought the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now we know in future writings that the fruit of the soil, the sacrifice of of wheat and the bringing of flour and oil and that kind of thing, the, the, the produce of the ground is the thank offering. It's the offering that says, God, you are God and I acknowledge you and you have provided for me and I am so thankful. Cain brought a thank, thank offering. That's what he did. He brought a thank offering. Now, the next verse is very interesting. Go ahead and put that up. Verse 4. But Abel... Now, my NIV says, my, uh, says Abel, but Abel brought fat portions. If you'll notice in the NASB and in most other Bibles, it will say, Abel on his part also brought the firstlings of his flocks. So the thought here is, if you go to the Hebrew, that Cain brought a thank offering to God. He brought his grain and his oil and his frankincense, but Abel brought that as well as the firstling of his flock and the fat portions. He brought both. Cain brought one. Abel brought both. Now, the, the firstling uh, of the flock and the fat portions is a sin offering. 
That acknowledges, so he not only acknowledged that God loved him and was, was alive and well, but it also and it acknowledges a thanksgiving for everything that, that God had done for them. But when Abel came, not only did he thank God, he reverently bowed his head and said, I am a sinner and I repent. And in faith, every single blood offering in the Old Testament is in faith of the coming Messiah. So Cain did not acknowledge his sin. He did not acknowledge that he was a sinful human and that he needed forgiveness. And he did not acknowledge the coming Messiah. He was willing to just thank God for how things are going right now. But he did not bow himself in faith and in repentance. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. The words there, looked with favor, means a keen and earnest glance to kindle with fire, with just the eyes. Many times throughout the Bible, when God accepted an offering, he would consume it with fire. It would come down from heaven. Now, we don't know what it means here necessarily. It does not say fire came down from heaven, but it is assumed. By looking at the rest of now, you know, so whenever I tell you that, you can think about it and you can either believe it or not. This is just, I'm telling you what a lot of scholars have come up with and really have come to conclude. All right? So Cain looked with favor at Abel and his offering, but on Cain, uh, oh, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain, his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. What is it about the human race that when we don't do something right and we're confronted about it, we get mad? Now, Cain, obviously, at this point in his life, he was struggling with some things because in the first place, he did not bring a sacrifice of repentance. He just brought a thanks. Hey, thanks, God. He didn't think there was any sin in his life. And when his thing didn't go so well, I don't know about you, but if we're dealing with a God and we have standing before us the Shekinah glory cherubim and a flaming sword going back and forth, if that is truly where he stood. And fire comes down from heaven. And for some reason, mine didn't get picked. I think I would do a little introspection. I think I might just like throw myself on the floor and say, what, what, what have I done wrong? I am so sorry. I'll fix it all right now if I can. But Cain did not. Cain got mad. And his face now is becoming downcast. When you're downcast, what do you look at? If you're worshiping God, where are you looking? 
He started focusing on the temporal. He started focusing on the stuff right here and now. Cain became downcast. Now I want you to see something. The next verses are very revelatory. Scholars always look for first mention. Whenever something is brought up in the word of God the first time, that is original intent. That is truth being laid out for you. Okay? Now we had Adam and Eve. And they sinned. But they sinned without God around. You know what I'm saying? They kind of sinned over on their sideline. But this is a sin just smack dab right in the middle of worship. Right smack dab. And it really, really, it's, it, sorry to keep using the same word smack, but it smacks of our relationship with him. Now, what kind of God? What's he going to relax? What, how is he going to respond? How is he going to interact with a human being that's angry and mad? And ticked off. And dealing with feelings of rejection. Anybody ever felt rejected? How does God respond to this? Let's read it. Because I love it. God doesn't slap him upside the head. He said to Cain, why are you angry? Why, why Why are you downcast? We find God coming down. Into God's into man's situation, and going, come on, honey, what's the matter? What? Well, what? What's wrong? And I will venture to say that every time you find yourself angry, frustrated, downcast, hurt, God is going to be found right there. His spirit of God is going to be right there. Going, come on, honey, what's what, what's up? He is not far away, neither is he an angry God. But he is one to immediately come. Come to the one that's struggling. Come to one that's having a hard time and looking at you saying, what's going on? Why are you angry? Why? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. God is right there and he's cheering for you. He's coaching you. He's looking at you going, why are you mad? Come on, come on, honey, if you'll just, just do it right and then it'll go good. But if you do it wrong, watch out because sin is right at the door and it's crouching. And that word has two meanings. Remember that homonym stuff? Sin is crouching like an animal of prey ready to pounce. So this place right now of, of being in sin, there's cohorts that want to join you. And it wants to attack you. But you can master it. You don't have to be a part of it. And God is in the middle going, come on. And man is always in the position of having to decide. You 
the power of choice every time. And you can master it. God says very clearly that you can master it. There's nothing in your life right now. Pornography does not have to master you. Drugs, alcohol, bitterness, anger, I don't care what it is. The past is the past and the things that have come into your life. But you don't have to fall prey to it. You can master it. But let me open this up a little bit, a little bit wider. Stay with me. That word sin, sin is crouching at your door. That word sin is once again a homonym that Dr. Brian was talking to us about. Remember, there's not very many Hebrew words. And so a lot of the words mean other things. The Hebrew word is chata, C-H-A-T-T-A-A-H. Some, there's a couple of variations in the, the spelling, but that's what that word is. It means sin. It means missing the mark. It means evil. It means wrongdoing. But it also means the sin sacrifice. Now let's read it from that standpoint. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, the sin sacrifice, the very thing I've provided, is crouching, laying at your door. It desires to have you. But you must master it. You must take it and slay it and sacrifice it for your sins. I almost fell off my chair when I was reading this. Same word. How are you going to deal with when you don't do things right? How are you going to deal when you don't do things right? Because there's two things crouching at your door when you don't do right. There's sin and anger and brokenness and everything else that comes with it. But there's also the sin sacrifice, the lamb. The lamb that he did not sacrifice in the first place is laying there crouching down at his door. Also, he has to go out and master it and slay it and offer it up. I'm telling you people. God has made a way. If you choose to do right, will you not be accepted? But if you choose to do wrong, you have another choice. You can either allow sin that's crouching at your door to attack you like a prey and eat you alive. Or you can choose to go out and slay the sin offering. Go to Jesus Christ. And cover it. He has made so many options available to his human race because he loves you. Kind of makes Cain and Abel a whole new story here, doesn't it? Okay, keeping on moving. We'll be done in five, I promise. Now Cain said to his brother, circle the word brother. We've already had the the word brother once back in verse, what is that, two? And I want you to notice every time God calls him brother. He's not just another person. Now Cain said to his brother, Abel, 
not just Abel, but his brother. Let's go out to the field. Where did, where did Cain work? He works in the fields. Come out to where I'm comfortable. Come out to my domain. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, circle brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The, keeper, the word keeper there means guardian, hedge around, protector. Am I my brother's keeper? Can you hear the annoyance? Can you hear the anger still? He still has not come to a soft heart. He still has not had a moment of repentance. What would have happened all the way back when they were bringing their sacrifices if we would have gone, oh, shoot, rats. Uh, give me a minute. Come here, little lammy. Ooh, I didn't do it right. Let's do it right. What would have happened? What ha- Fast forward another verse. What would have happened if when God came to him, why are you angry? Well, I'm just kind of sad. You didn't like me. Well, honey, I like you. You don't understand. But if you'll do right, it'll go right. If you don't do right, go get the lamb. He's had so many opportunities. So many opportunities. Yet his heart is so hard. Am I my brother's keeper? What's a brother? Talk to me quick. Family. The first violence committed was brother against brother. It was not man against enemy. It was brother against brother. It was a violent crime committed between two siblings, not between two enemies. It was between two brothers. Satan hates family. He hates it. And if he can sow discord in the family, he will destroy. Satan hates your family. He wants to destroy. Satan hates God's family. He wants to destroy. I told you earlier, look around. This is your family. How many times have we come to church and really not liked the other person sitting in the pew next to us? How many times have we come here and had thoughts of others here? And in our minds and in our hearts, we have slain them. How many times in the body of Christ in general have we slain another They're the Catholics. They're the Baptists. They're this, they're that. We, we have slain our brothers. And if Satan could bring the sword between Cain and Abel, he can bring the sword between this church, divide it, ruin it, and destroy it. 
can't let it happen. Family of God. Am I my brother's keeper? Absolutely yes. The answer is yes. I don't know why God didn't say yes. You are. Go find him. Go take care of him. The answer is yes. We are the hedge and the protection around each other. We are the mentors. We are the coverings of each other. We keep each other. Look around this room. I will guarantee you this next year is going to be hell for some of you. I don't know why, but it happens that way. We are here to help you. We are here to be your hedge. We are here to be your protection. And I pledge myself to be that for you, should you need it. And I'll tell you what, if this year is for some reason a year of hell for me, I am begging you ahead of time, will you be my protection? If I fall this year, if I fall, if for some reason my, my moral strength gives out because the enemy has been pounding on me, will you protect me? Will you guard me or will you slay me? Do you take your words when you walk away and criticize me? Melanie's saying yes. <laughs> Her head is popping. Yes. I'm sorry. It just looked funny to me. <laughs> Do you take your words and slay me when I'm gone? I know it does. It's been bobbing all night. It's perfect. I love it. I'm not, I'm not putting it down at all. It's just cute. Funny things happen when you're up here. You see things and you just kind of want to lose your mind. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A brother is born for adversity. We are here as God's family for the tough times. When you don't look the coolest, I'm here. When you don't smell the coolest, I'm here. When you're going through a rough time, I'm here. But I'll tell you what our automatic thing is a lot of times is isolation. We run, we break relationship, we break covenant. I cannot tell you how many times I have watched this church be assailed by negativity. And people turning on people like you would not ever believe. And I'm sure you've, if you've been in a church for any length of time, you've seen it. Picking it up here at verse 11. Now you're under a curse. Now you are under a curse. I've tried to get you to repent. I have tried. I've come down. I've gotten in your face. I've said, why are you downcast? Why? Why? If you just do this and if you just do that. And God's like, you have, I can't help you anymore because you are intent on this. So he says now. What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, and I will tell you what, you slay anyone, their blood will cry out. I don't want to be on that side of the cry. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground for which it has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. He still is not repenting. He's whining because now his life is going to be hard. I don't know about you, but at this point I'd be throwing myself on the ground.
My punishment is too much that I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence, and I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Yet God is still gracious. The Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, N-O-D, east of Eden. The word Nod means wilderness. We will save the rest for next week. But I just want us to consider this. I just want to consider this. So many times, be careful people, so many times I have watched people come into churches and then begin to look at one another and begin to destroy one another and to begin to slay them with the tongue. And I've watched it not only here, but I've watched it everywhere else. And when those people are finally leaving, if they finally leave, they enter in a time of wilderness and it just about always happens. And I'm not trying to scare you into never leaving. No, you, if you need to leave, if God is calling you out, then go out, go out peaceably. But if you cause problem, the Bible says in Proverbs that whoever causes problems for his family will inherit the wind. Do not destroy the family of God. Do not destroy your family. Leave quietly. If you see things that are not right, if you're being called out, Leave quietly. Go to the leadership. But I have watched it time and time again, not only in this church, but in other churches, when people have destroyed the family of God as they are leaving, they are being destructive. When they leave, they go into a time of wilderness. I don't want that for you. Their finances quite often go upside down. Their relationships are cut off. They are now in a lot of isolation. They've lost friendships. It's not good. Do not cause problems for the family. You will inherit the wind. God moves his people. Hallelujah. He moves them. But it's always healthy. It's always right. And it's ascending. And it's a going. And it's a moving on. It's not a leaving and a tearing asunder and a destroying. That's number one, that I want you to learn out of this passage. Number two, I'm five minutes late. I'm so sorry. Number two, people of God, what does your heart look like when you are confronted? When you fall short, when you do something wrong, what does your heart do? I've raised four kids. Some of them, when they would do something wrong and I would address it, they would run to me. Mommy, mommy, I'm so sorry. And they would hold me. And they'd climb up on my lap and throw their arms around my neck. I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. You're okay. You're forgiven. Let's go. That's all it needed. Other times, they oh, mommy, mommy, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Other times, You did wrong. Honey, you did wrong. If you'll do it right. One time, it was me. Can I just tell you, one time it was me. Can I I keep you for another half a second? My mom, I was mad at her. I was probably in junior high or late elementary school. I was really ticked off at her. I come home from school and she told me I had to mow the lawn because I was in trouble. Oh, I was so mad. I stomped out. 
Because I had really done something stupid. I don't know why. I was just not laying on my face before her, bawling and washing my, washing her feet with my hair, you know, and my tears. I go out there, pulling out the lawnmower, and like, oh, I am so mad. I hate her. I hate her. I hate her. She's so awful, and she's this, and I don't even care if she hears me. She was standing at the garage door. Okay, so finally... I humble myself. Oh, I'm sorry, Mom. Well, I am, Mom. I want to ask you, what do you do when you're confronted? Let's be those little kids that immediately just go run into our Heavenly Father. Jump up on his lap. I'm so sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. What can I do better? I love you. Here's the lammy. Forgive me. Jesus Christ, you died on the cross for my forgiveness, and I apply it right now to my sin immediately, immediately, immediately. I don't want the other sin crouching at the door jumping on me. Amen. Let's stand.